2: greenie with mike greenberg the podcast
0: all right we're back in better than ever Greeny, with you presented by progressive insurance on this monday january 8th this is the busiest sports day of the year nfl regular season wraps up playoff field is set coaching carousel spinning and the national championship tonight let's go
3: here we go only one place to start. The Buffalo Bills
4: come from three games back in the loss column to steal the division title from the Miami Dolphins. Doesn't mean anything if we go out there next week and don't do our job. So we got to find a way to put our best foot forward and go find a victory next week. All
0: right, look, I'm not one who likes to point out when I was right. Let me rephrase that. I'm one who <laughs> loves to point out when I was right. But here's the flip side. I'll tell you when I'm wrong. No one's been wrong more often than I've been wrong. And I'll always tell you when I was wrong. But on this one, we were right. Hembo and I, when the Bills were 6-6, six and six, we doubled down on our Josh Allen take. We said that he is still the best or second-best quarterback, second-best player in the NFL, and that that team absolutely was dangerous. And here they are, five wins later, the two-seed in the AFC. And that is where this conversation can begin, although there are a lot of places I want to go with Dominique Foxworth, Hembo, and the hashtag crew around us. Nick, how about
2: the Bills? Incredible, man. I I saw the stat this morning um, that to get the number two seed at a certain point this season, they were down to point. 1% like those are dumb and dumber probabilities. So you're (laughs) saying there's a chance and yes, they actually pulled it off and it wasn't pretty the whole time as Josh pointed out last night, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's not a surprise to any of us. If it was going to happen, it was going to happen because Josh was going to be special. And there were even a couple games in there. I think about the Cowboys game, where it seemed like they didn't even need Josh. So this team has come together. They've gotten much better. And what they've accomplished right now has to have been emotionally and physically exhausting. So we'll see what they have left in the tank. But right now, what they've done up until this point is a hell of an accomplishment. I'll tell
1: you what. So this is the fourth straight season that Josh Allen has accounted for at least 40 touchdowns. Nobody in the history of the NFL has ever done that Mm -hmm. in four consecutive seasons when you account for his passing, and his rushing but Nick it's not just Josh Allen now that has yeah. enabled them to get the two seed right. the defense is playing better that was a concern for at least much of the first half of the season and James Cook is playing outstanding football ever since Joe Brady took over uh, since they fired Ken Dorsey when uh you know uh, they forgot to put they had 12 men on the field against Denver yeah. which we thought was ridiculous that they fired him but regardless of how you slice it their run game has been outstanding because Josh Allen provides your offense such a high floor because of his legs. James Cook has been excellent. That team's as dangerous as anybody as we start the playoffs.
0: I think they're the most, the biggest threat to the Ravens. Like we go into this postseason with two teams. You you did a, a, a perspective on this for us last week, Dominique. That our analytics tell us, yeah. Ravens of the field take the Ravens. Niners or the field take the Niners. That's not the norm. So we have to sit and figure out who the biggest threat is. I definitively think Allen is the single biggest threat just by himself to Baltimore and the AFC.
2: Yeah, I mean, I still hold out some belief that maybe I'm an old school football guy, but I hold out some belief that football is a team game. And I think you're right. We have to appreciate that the Bills team has gotten better around Josh Allen. But I think it's no doubt that the better overall team is what Miles Garrett and the Browns have there. And they're not not that anyone is afraid of uh or not that the bills are afraid of the Ravens, there's something to be said for that divisional familiarity that I think that the browns have also uh in going up and having beaten the Ravens at one point this year, it was kind of a. A miraculous, fluky ending with uh, Deshaun Watson in that game, but they feel comfortable there and they have Miles Garrett. <laughs> so that changes things a lot. And they have corners. And I, as much as I love Lamar Jackson and was a Lamar Jackson supporter from before when he was drafted, when I was watching the film and seeing that he stayed in the pocket longer than people wanted to pretend that he would, the one criticism of Lamar Jackson is his accuracy. And that tight man coverage that the Browns are going to play is going to test him to be consistently accurate. That's not what the Bills do necessarily. They'll play some man under, which, frankly, you can't play that against Lamar Jackson because that takes all the coverage out of his scrambling ability. So they'll end up probably playing some zone, occasionally playing some man, but I think Lamar Jackson and the Ravens uh, would much rather go up against that defense and Josh Allen is good, but he's not unstoppable.
0: Oh, I hear you. But, I mean, you know too much football for this conversation. <laughs> I look at this much more simply.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, Joe Flacco is not beating the Ravens. I just don't see it happening. Um, and obviously his history with the Ravens is will be an interesting storyline should that game materialize. Right. But I think to beat the Ravens, you're going to have to score 30 points. And I just don't see those Browns doing it. And I could easily see, again, Allen just has to go unconscious. Right. Like we've seen some – there have been times – when, when players and Mahomes yeah. has done it, got, they just play the greatest game you've ever seen and it didn't make any difference who they were playing. And to me, he's the one guy who I could see doing that. All right, but that's not what I want to talk about with you today. I want to talk about the coaching stuff. So as we speak, there were five coaching vacancies in the NFL. We had three over the course of the season, the Panthers, the Chargers, and the Raiders. And we've had two more since the season ended. Arthur Smith got fired last night. Ron Rivera got fired early this morning. None of those, certainly neither of these two, came as a surprise. We're waiting on Belichick. Could we be waiting on Philly if things go bad next week? I think Hembo's going to make a case to fire Nick Sirianni today. Whoa. What do you make of all the... Right? Am I, am I overstating it?
1: I'm going to make the case.
0: Hembo is beating the drum. It's a drum. He's beating <laughs> the drum. Right? You're I've beating sm- the drum. i smashed the drum. Are you <laughs> smashing the drum? Why are you smashing? You're firing
2: the man who
1: took, to
0: took it to the Super Bowl. Hembo is here. not a
2: like a crazy fan. Like I think of Hembo yes, he as, a, 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 as a crazy fan
1: who has... As a rational guy who has a small crazy fan streak. I'm not a compulsive... Philadelphia sports fan like that's uh, many of my brethren most certainly qualify as that but I don't think that Nick Sirianni based on the recent evidence that we have deserves to have another year you asking me to believe in a guy that the team does not believe in right that's that's what you're asking me to. why do? what is it you're
0: seeing that tells you that what what are you seeing that tells you otherwise well I don't know but I mean when teams yeah, go I mean, on the losing fact that intrigue. they pay
2: him and they haven't fired him yet and yeah. they took him to the Super Bowl like yes they have
0: and paid they were with him. 10 and one yeah.
1: six weeks ago going to the Super Bowl last year is not evidence that Nick Sirianni is doing a good job. It's, Nick, it's evidence that Nick Sirianni did a good job with a whole different coaching staff. That's what I worry about, is that Nick Sirianni was a product of right. the coordinators that he had last year, both of whom got head coaching jobs, and out-coached him this season, objectively. It's, there's, no, there's no good reason why a team this talented, this is a top-five roster that has been healthy, could possibly end the season the way that they have. I is watched- there...
2: Go ahead. Is there nothing to be said, though? Like, if we had a quarterback who had a great season, then his two top receivers left, we would explain that away. We would give them some grace. There's nothing to be said for Nick Sirianni knows how to coach. The having the two coordinators is an extenuating circumstance. That losing two of your coordinators in one season is a really tough thing to come back from. The fact that he wasn't able to come back from that is a mark on his resume. But it doesn't mean that he's not the same guy that it was last year, and it doesn't mean that he can't get things right and find the right coordinator. I understand
1: going the, the the coordinator change argument. The problem is is that it's January 8th. We just played the last <laughs> yeah. game of the season. Right. Like That yeah. was a perfectly fine narrative that I was fine with people pushing in September and Player October. Point. But the truth of the matter is, Greeny, I watched all 32 teams play football this weekend. The Eagles were among the worst, and the Eagles were among the worst coached. I think that he is coaching for well, They weren't an among anything. <laughs> they were the
0: worst team in the NFL this week. Okay, you're making but, my they, point they were, for me. It was 24 nothing to the Giants.
1: Well, they were playing their starters. That's like, what I mean. Let's not, let's not allow it to be lost in history that they, they pull Jalen Hurts or anything of the kind. The Dallas-Washington game was competitive, and the Eagles were playing to win, and were getting bum-rushed by one of the worst teams in the NFL.
0: Yeah. I don't, if you just watched football yesterday and you didn't know anything about yeah. anything, you would say, who is the worst team? Well, they are. I mean, that, <laughs> Those guys looked like the worst ones I saw. That part of it I don't disagree with. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive. Dot com. Speaking of Super Bowl coaches who might get fired, Bill Belichick is the one everyone has their eye on today. Now, there's been no news out of there yet. Mike Reese, who covers that team for us, told us on Get Up on Friday that the expectation is, at least as of then, that Belichick will meet with the crafts today, this, this day, this Monday, where maybe a decision does get made. Now, before that, Belichick met with the media early this morning, and you will hear directly he was asked if he would give up his control over player personnel.
1: Wondering
3: if you've given any serious thoughts of relinquishing the personnel, maybe some of the draft responsibilities, and coaching the team, which you were saying yesterday is something you still really want to do. Yeah,
0: I'm, look, I'm for whatever um, you know collectively we decide as an organization is the best thing to help our football team. I have multiple roles in that, and I rely on a lot of people to help me in those uh, in those responsibilities. If somebody's got to have the final say, uh, I have it. I rely on a lot of other people to help, and you know, however that yeah, whatever that process is, you know, I'm, I'm only part of it. So he said multiple things this morning that that you don't usually hear him say. There was that which was interesting, and he also multiple times said the words "I'm under contract," which feels. um, intentional, right? He didn't just randomly today say the words, I'm under contract multiple times. What does it mean?
2: mean? Yeah, I think you're right to point out the I'm under contract thing. That's one of those technicalities that no one thinks about unless you have to think about it. And no one certainly brings it up unless you have to bring it up. I'm going to stay away from any analogies in this place, but they come to mind where it's like, well, I'm under contract, so I can't (laughs) do or say these certain things. But in this situation, He did seem open to the player personnel thing, but I have a hard time imagining not that he is humble enough to do that, although I have a hard time imagining that. I have a hard time imagining an organization that has been run pretty much the same way for a couple of decades now. Even if you change titles, I don't imagine that when you are actually sitting in the rooms making decisions about free agents to sign, or players to draft that bill Belichick will still default have the final say if someone else Technically has a final say. How hard is it going to be to overrule the man who's won six Super Bowls for this team and the whole organization, whether they wanted to or not, has started to grow around him? I don't imagine that you can undo all the ingrained processes and cultures and decision making that's been built up over muscle memory over two decades because we changed the title. And so I, I don't ima- I don't think that it's going that is realistic to keep him on and change his role. You either gotta shut the door or, or not with a relationship like this. I agree.
0: And, and when you say to yourself, "There's a part of me that wants to say, Bob Kraft should, <clears throat> pardon me, should allow Bill to go wherever he wants to go. He owes him that much. He won me six championships, took me to what is it, nine Super Bowls. I mean, mm-hmm. you you can't have done more for an organization." I'm just going to let you go, but the Patriots finished in a spot where they now get the third pick. This is a draft that is going to be defined by the first two players, by Caleb Williams and Drake May. Now, there are other quarterbacks in this draft that people, myself included, like, like Jaden Daniels Mm -hmm. from LSU, and we'll see where we wind up. Michael Penix. And and Michael Penix, who right now is not even projected to be a first rounder. But those two guys, at least as we speak, are at the top. And if that is the case, if you're in New England – You might want to be moving up there. Maybe the Bears are willing to trade out of that spot. You need all the ammunition you can to go up there. So if you can get some picks... For Bill Belichick, I, then I, you do it.
2: I like the idea of saying that an owner of an NFL team would be kind in the exit of a player or a coach. But I think that Robert Kraft would say, that's what I paid you all the money for, right. to win all those Super Bowls and take all those things. Like, now I don't owe you anything. And I think Bill Belichick, of all people, would understand it. But the one area where you can be extra critical of Bill Belichick's decision-making and drafting is receivers, and pass catchers, and playmakers. He can't get it wrong. If he's at three, Marvin Harrison Jr. is the clearest number one receiver we've had in the draft since, I guess, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Mm -hmm. So this is a draft that I think they might – we don't know how the quarterbacks are going to work out. They're highly uh, regarded quarterbacks. But this is a draft where I think they're going to end up at three, and it's going to be hard to get either of those teams because the teams that are at one and two need quarterbacks. Do they? Yeah. Do the
0: Bears need a quarterback?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think they do. I think the Bears need to to move on. We've had four years, Justin Fields, and I think that you can blame – well, yeah. Three, three years, years, but yeah. You you can blame the things around him. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is he has not proven himself the to be the answer there in Chicago. Hmm. And I think at this point it's the smartest thing is to move on from him and, uh, and draft – so I don't know if
0: today is the day, but the argument, Hembo, that we had with Tannenbaum, mm. at some point I want to sit with Nick and do this because and we have so much stuff going on today. I don't think today is the day we want to dive that deeply into this. But Hembo and I did a little study. So of the 15 quarterbacks who were taken first overall in the draft since the year 2000, if you ask yourself how many of them were worth three first round picks, the answer is six and nine of them weren't. It is a better than 50 50 proposition that you are better off taking three first round picks in exchange for the top pick in the draft and take your chances that this guy winds up being David Carr before he winds up being, you know, that's uh, fair, Eli Manning.
2: That's fair. I would I would tell you to go back and do that study based on their draft grade, not based on where they were drafted. And I think Caleb Williams and Drake May's draft grade will have them higher than the, the average number one overall pick. But I would also say that 50 50 is pretty good for getting a franchise quarterback. I would love to have a coin toss to have uh, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, any of these guys. And I know that we can't guarantee that they would be there, but especially for the Bears – you think over the Bears history, they've had zero, I guess you could say, a couple McMahon years. They've had zero franchise quarterbacks. Mm. Zero. Yeah. So if you tell me I got a coin toss for a franchise quarterback and I'm a Bears fan, I'm falling all over that. You
0: were selling short Sid Luckman, but that's a whole other uh, <laughs> uh, discussion bad, for another time. You got to go back to the 50s. Um, But that's a whole different Super Bowl conversation. Era. All right, we'll continue to do this. Nick, you're the best. Thank nice, you buddy. very much. I got my takes coming up. Hembo's beating the drum. We're busy on a Monday on ESPN Radio.
3: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space
0: Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to macys.com/giftfinder today. That's macys.com/giftfinder.
2: Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Greeny, the podcast.
0: All right, it's a day of a lot of change in the NFL. Coaching, carousel, spinning. Two firings already. We're waiting on word out of New England. And then the most interesting stuff might still be yet to come. We'll get to it all, including my takes, in 30 seconds after this word from Granger for the ones... Who get it done? Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickranger.com or just stop by. Greenies takes. All right, here we go. My top five takeaways after week 18, the final Sunday of the National Football League season. Some of them are specific to yesterday. Some of them are bigger picture. Number five. Well, there's good news and bad news for all of my friends who love the Bears. My wife is a Bears fan. So many members of my family extended. So many friends from all the years, 11 years I lived and worked in Chicago. Good news and bad if you're a fan of the Bears. The good news is you have a growing young team. You have some very interesting and all appealing options. You have the first pick in the draft and a lot of draft capital. You decide you want to stick with fields and Make a trade, you can do that. Otherwise, you're drafting a Caleb Williams. There's really almost no downside to what the future looks like for Chicago. You want the bad news? The Packers have gone and done it again. You've lived in a world of Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers for 30 years, and it's happening again. Jordan Love is damn good. It is unfair to say, well, is he going to be Favre? Is he going to be Rodgers? Those are two of the greatest players in NFL history. So it's not only unrealistic to think he'll be that good because almost no one ever has been, but it's far too early to suggest any such thing. But I do think it is reasonable to say you drop the list of teams that look like they're set at quarterback right now and the Packers are at or near the top of that list with young, skilled position talent. They're playing with house money in these playoffs. The Packers and their quarterback, they've done it again.
1: 32 touchdowns, 11 interceptions for Jordan Love, which is about as good as you could possibly ask for. For a quarterback in his first season as a starter. And can we just collectively apologize to the Packers front office? We excoriated them for drafting Jordan Love, not drafting a receiver for Aaron Rodgers who got all pissy and moany about it. Well, as it turns out, it was absolutely the right decision then, and it's the right decision now. Maybe,
0: but that's where I'm going to stop you. Because what is the value of one championship? If you had gotten Aaron Rodgers a genuinely great playmaker, a difference-making offensive playmaker then, to go on the other side from Devontae Adams, or something like that, could they have won a championship in what would have proved to be Rodgers' last two or three years? And if so, what is the value of that for a franchise that hasn't won one in whatever it is now, 12 years? So that doesn't necessarily mean it was the right thing to do. That said, it was certainly a good thing to do. With all the teams out there that draft quarterbacks and get it wrong, they identified their guy and looks like at least for this moment, they got it right. Number four, uh, Arthur Smith went down whining. I, I, I really thought that was a horrible moment yesterday, at the end of that game. A- and look, I mean, that team—I I don't ever root for anybody to get fired. But anybody who watched the Falcons this year and yesterday was a perfect microcosm of that. They were terribly coached. And this is a guy who everyone tells me is a brilliant offensive coach. Their offense stunk. It was awful. It was predictable. It was bad, and the quarterback is awful—just awful. Just awful. And yesterday was a perfect microcosm of that. And then the game ends, and the other team scores a late touchdown. And is it Bush League? Sure, it's Bush League. But come on. I mean, he just freaked out on the, in the middle of the field. And Allen is trying to explain to him, hey, I didn't even call that play. Jameis Winston opted into it. But whatever. I mean, that just struck me as... as I don't know. What did you think of it? I thought it was, a, it was a bad look. I
1: thought it's the thing that you don't do at midfield right after the game, after you got your butt whooped, as they did. Uh, Arthur Smith, uh, supposed offensive genius, three years in a row, 7-10, three years in a row, got the eighth pick in the draft. This year they ranked 26th in scoring offense. Some really good offensive coordinator is going to replace him and take Atlanta to the playoffs next season with all those weapons that they've compiled.
0: Absolutely. Now, one of their problems is they got the quarterback wrong every single time, and they need to get that right. By the way, the next time a generational quarterback makes himself available to every team in the league, if you're Atlanta, you might want to make sure the first thing you do is get a statement out as quickly as you can saying you don't want him. If you put Lamar Jackson on Atlanta this year, they would be they would be the, the one of the top two seeds in the NFC. It would be them in San Francisco. We'd be talking about the Falcons and the 49ers, one or the other as the team to be in the NFC. But I digress. Number three. CJ Stroud is the offensive rookie of the year. Puka Nakua had a magnificent season, and and there are a lot of other really good young offensive players, and one is just jumping out of my head, An, another offensive player who's put together a magnificent year. No, Gibbs, because he really didn't, I mean, Gibbs split the load with David Montgomery so much, doesn't matter, the point of it is, not that I want the offensive rookie of the year to turn into a quarterback award the way MVP has, but... When you are the quarterback and they hand you the ball and you've got a rookie head coach, a first-time, first-year head coach and an organization that has been bad and dysfunctional and looked bad and everything else, and you step right in there and change everything immediately and, oh, by the way, win the division, what C.J. Stroud did this year is Burrow-esque. And I'll remind everyone that what Burrow did, he did in his second year. Burrow, in his first year, was playing well, then got tore up his knee And missed the rest of the season. It was his second year that he took that team to the Super Bowl. Now, I don't know that this team is going to the Super Bowl, but they won the division. Something no one gave them any conceivable chance of doing. And Stroud is the only reason why, or at least he's the biggest reason why. To me, he's the offensive rookie of the year.
1: Absolutely. Not only is he the offensive rookie of the year, this is one of the top five rookie seasons ever. Any player, any position. He led the league in passing on a per-game basis. He averaged more yards per game than any quarterback in the league and also had the lowest interception rate. That is an absurd juxtaposition, especially when you consider this is not a color inside the line's offense. He is chucking the ball downfield as much as anybody off of a three-win season. I think they're alive. Like I think that team is perhaps more capable of making a run in the playoffs than others might think and when you have a quarterback that good on his rookie deal your championship window is right here right now
0: Yeah, so you think they're going to beat cleveland this week? i think week? they're
1: going to beat cleveland this
0: week that's a really that's my early lean game. we'll have you know obviously plenty of time to get into the upcoming matchups meanwhile my top five takes number two the cowboys are just set up to fail i hope they don't you know i root for them for my own selfish reasons I don't I don't ever view anything beyond the realm of how it impacts me. And there's nothing better for sports talk show hosts than the Cowboys making a deep run in the playoffs. But it's just all so set up for them. Like Stephen, A. always says they wait until the worst possible moment to rip your heart out. And it's so set up for them. They were given this gift of the Eagles falling completely apart late in the season, and then whatever it was that did and didn't happen in that game against Detroit, and I know people are going to tell me there was a tripping call, all the rest of that. Bottom line, the way that Detroit game played out, everything goes their way. It is so
1: set up for this to be another heartbreak. The Cowboys have absolutely no excuse, none, to fall short of the NFC championship right. game. It could not possibly be easier. I'll tell you this, they they're probably rooting hard for someone down the line to, like, For the Rams to potentially beat the the Lions, which I think might well happen. Because you ask me right now, I actually think Tampa and Philly are the two worst teams on the NFC side. Because of how they reseed stuff, I'd much rather see Tampa or Philly at this juncture than see Detroit. So that's what I'm rooting for from the Cowboys. I'm rooting for the Rams to beat the Lions.
0: All right, so that's what you need. You need the Rams to beat the Lions because that means the Rams would wind up in San Francisco. That's right. And then the Cowboys we'll play the winner of Tampa. Philly would get the winner of Tampa. Philly. Oh, I hadn't thought it. Through. And they're going
4: to be a
1: big favorite in that game. The Cowboys are absolutely. Yeah, that would be.
0: A, I mean, they would be a, a slim favorite against Detroit, right?
1: Yes, three and a half, maybe. Yeah.
0: After that game they played earlier, they would be a double-digit favorite against Philly. Okay, one where Now that's interesting, and that brings us up to Philly. Number one, uh, the Eagles yesterday looked like the worst team in the NFL. I said it earlier, and we know that we have two hashtag crew members who were. Uh, Died in the wool Eagles fans, both hashtag Hembo and hashtag Cam. And I I, I said earlier, if you just parachuted in from another planet and you had never watched football before and you just watched all the games yesterday, you would emerge saying, you know, those guys from Philadelphia, they're the worst team. Their defense doesn't look like they know what they're doing. Are they coordinated? (laughs) Like, do they practice? Watching their defense, I've never seen a team look worse defensively. That's one of the worst defensive performances I think I've ever seen in my life, what they did yesterday. They made the Giants look like, what, I mean, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes at their best but, but, but between both Tyrod and Tommy DeVito. It was ridiculous. So I don't know what the hell to make of that. They look just awful, and it does, there is a drumbeat. For a coach who took this team to the Super Bowl last year, there are people, and by people I mean the ones sitting to my left, that are ready to fire Nick Sirianni if this thing goes badly Monday
1: night. I've watched practically every game the Eagles have played for the last 25 years. 400-some football games. And the first half of that game, yesterday against the Giants, is as pathetic, as uninspiring, as pitiful as these eyes have ever witnessed. I can't believe... That my favorite football team has gone from being 10-1, having beaten not good teams, but the best teams in the NFL, to playing a non-competitive game against the Giants in a game in which the Giants had nothing to play for, and you during that first half had everything to play for. Yeah. Let it not be forgotten that Dallas and Washington were playing a close game. The Eagles were scoreboard watching just like we were. Jalen Hurts and all the other starters were playing. Now, certainly some guys got hurt, uh, inclusive of A.J. Brown. We'll have to pay attention to that. But I watched every uh, team play at least a portion of their game this weekend. 32 teams. The Eagles played worse and were coached worse than any team in the NFL this week. 32 out of 32. If they had played the Carolina Panthers in Philadelphia yesterday, they would have lost. And you're telling me right now, they're going to Tampa Bay as a favorite next week? I don't see it, man. I don't see how, over the course of the next seven days, This team can remember how to play football because they have most definitely forgotten.
0: Cam, are you ready to fire your coach?
4: Uh, I am not. I am. (laughs) I don't know how I'm not, but I understand this league is very much what have you done for me lately. And this city, as Hembo and I know, is very, very much what have you done for me lately. I still think three straight years of playoffs and a Super Bowl run does buy you some kind of currency despite completely falling on your face like I've run out of answers like there's a reason that Hembo and I were so down on the Eagles after their second loss of the season to the 49ers and you were saying you're 10-2 what are you talking about I don't think we foresaw this coming but we knew that there were more cracks than showed in the 10-1 and record I didn't see it getting this bad and I there's there's no positive signs for their playoff run there's no positive signs even going into the next season at this point Jalen Hurts might be hurt AJ Brown might be hurt I just wonder if you'd regret giving up on the guy who got you to three straight playoffs, and it might look even worse with a complete teardown in the coaching staff, but... I wouldn't be surprised at this point, but I wouldn't do it.
0: You know, it's just interesting to me because your coach has taken you to three the playoffs three consecutive years mm-hmm. and been to the Super Bowl, and there's question about whether they're going to fire him. My team, the coach, has also been there three years. They are 18-33 and 33 in that time, and they gave him the unquestioned vote of confidence two weeks ago. They're not even considering firing. It's just an interesting juxtaposition.
1: Yeah, it's not just about the results. It's about mm-hmm. the results when you consider the context, the factors at hand. I happen to think that the Eagles have a top five roster. The Eagles have a top five general manager in Howie Roseman who has provided Nick Sirianni every single weapon that a coach can have in his arsenal. They have Jalen Hurts. Who is uh, still in the early stages of his second contract, and thus is very affordable. Coming off of a season, it, she was the MVP runner-up. He's got a loaded offensive line. He's got loaded skill players on offense, and six first-round picks along that defensive front that cannot stop a nosebleed. Greeny, you asked for context on the uh, the defense and how badly it has played lately. Yeah, the Eagles have lost five of the last six games. So, like the. It's sort of telltale number for a prolific offense. If you can score points, touchdown or field goal on something like half of your drive, I'm talking like rarest of rare, like the 2018 Chiefs, the, the 2007 Patriots, the undefeated Patriots, like those are the kinds of teams that do that. You score points on something like 50% of your drive. Yeah. In the last six weeks, the Eagles have allowed points on 53% of their drives, which includes two Giants games. One Cardinal game in a Seahawks game when Drew Locke started. This isn't a defense that's playing badly. We're talking about a defense that is playing historically badly. And I don't think it's primarily a personnel issue. It's largely the same personnel that sacked the quarterback 70 times last year and got you to the Super Bowl. I definitely see some regression in the secondary, and they have a weak linebacking core and such. But the Eagles don't have the, the worst defense in the league from a personnel standpoint, and they're playing like it.
0: So they're very badly coached. And they're being badly coached. Now, Sirianni was an offensive guy, right? So, I mean, it's the defense is someone else's responsibility. So it's just a matter of who he gave that responsibility to. First, Sean Desai, and then uh, now Matt Patricia. And it hasn't gotten better. It's gotten worse. On the other side of it, and I want to hear from both you and Cam on this, because everybody knows the quarterback. During the offseason, when they do their, like, who's the best quarterback in the NFL stuff, People were putting Jalen Hurts second and third, and that was not controversial. He he was an MVP favorite last year who outplayed Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. He has not looked the same this season. Why is that? Uh,
1: There are two reasons. Uh, One, there is definitely more to that knee injury than That's I think the public has learned. That's what I keep
0: saying. Learned. He's not healthy. There's no way he's healthy. There's
1: no way he's healthy, but there's also no way that he's ever going to be 100% healthy in Week 18 because of the way that he plays. The second thing is, and look, I'm not going to divorce Jalen Hurts' from the responsibilities of his regression, but the offense is incredibly elementary. It is the most unsophisticated offense in the NFL. They don't even know that the defense is allowed to blitz. Like, they don't pick up the blitz like every other freaking time. This has happened all season and is getting worse. This season, Greeny, Jalen Hurts has thrown five touchdowns against eight interceptions when he was blitzed. All right, in the first three seasons of his career, that ratio was 20 to four. There's just free rushers all the time. Like They're not providing him with any easy answers. Nothing is quick developing. There's nothing that provides Jalen Hurts, oh, let me just complete this easy completion. Like you see literally every other coach with a freaking IQ of 100 in the NFL do. They're doing nothing. They're in the same dozen plays. They can't check. They can't protect. And I think as a result, Jalen Hurts has to run back there like a chicken with his head cut off. Cam, Jalen Hurts, go.
4: Yeah, not controversial to rank him second as a quarterback coming into the season. But I do wonder... If we will look back, and we're already looking at it currently, a lot of Doug Peterson's offense became more elementary once uh, Frank Reich was gone. And I think we're seeing the same thing with Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen. I think a lot of uh, Shane Steichen was getting the best out of Jalen Hurts and making sure he was seeing the field well, picking up coverages, blitzes, playing with pressure well, scrambling when he needed to. I actually think the knee injury has been overstated. I think that's kind of like a fallback for hmm. why he's playing badly this season. I don't know, but I think it's it's a somewhat convenient excuse. It could be true, but I think he's playing he was playing worse this season already, and that might have exacerbated it, but I think a lot of it is the coaching, but he has definitely regressed himself as well.
0: Who will raise the trophy? Find out tonight. The Natty, presented by AT&T, coverage 6.30 Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
1: trivia, go. The NFL's wild card round dates to 1978. The same season the 16-game schedule was implemented. My question today, which franchise, which NFL franchise, has the most wins on wild card weekend? I like the question. The answer's next on ESPN Radio.
2: Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for
3: the play. And boom! Yeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and Good!
2: Greeny, the podcast.
0: Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. You can be a part of Greeny Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. It's not college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one that fans deserve. Wow, okay,
1: and how are your trivia skills?
2: This is Sneaky Himbo Trivia. Regular sneaky or
3: extra sneaky?
0: Himbo today's question is... Which NFL
1: franchise has the most wins... On wild card weekend, which is around that dates to 1978. Yeah, prior to 78, because I was questioning Hembo on this, there were
0: wild cards, but they were the way it worked in those days where there were three divisions in each conference and one wild card would make it. And so the first round of playoffs immediately was what we would now describe as the divisional round. So this is starting then when they added teams to the playoffs. So you got to pick a team that gets to the playoffs a lot but also maybe not one that places out of the, the wildcard round a lot. I'm going to let you guys go first this time. I keep going first and getting it wrong. I have a guest <laughs> ready to go, but I want to hear what everybody else says. Bubba, who you got?
2: I, I'm going to go with the New York Giants. The New York
0: Giants? Not on All my right. board. No, not, not mine either. They haven't been in the – okay, go ahead. I mean, I, I'm not going to criticize this pick, even though I think it sucks. Because <laughs> I mean, so I'm, not, you are. <laughs> I'm not even 100% sure he heard the question. I heard the question. He I mean, usually
4: does not hear the I question. I was familiar
0: with the question. I don't know, right? You know, they had a, they've had some success in the wild card. All right. All right. Uh, Cam?
4: Yeah, I'm between two teams. I'm going to go with the Packers. I feel like they're, they're in the playoffs a lot and they're sometimes not quite living up to expectations so That's maybe right. they missed some wild card runs or okay. they did not miss some wild card right
0: rounds. and, and I, I the same exact with me so i and and what and we have a guess in from brandon by the way
1: brandon's going packers and jack who's in the building today is going ravens okay and, his and see the problem with the
4: ravens they got there so late
0: is the ravens didn't exist and i mean until whatever your Cleveland moved there in the 90s, for the first 20 years well, of this. Jack
4: didn't exist till then either. That's
0: true. And Jack is a dope. So I don't I mean, think
4: that's a bad guess.
0: I understand that. Well, why don't you take the Houston Texans? I mean, why don't you take a team that, you know, just a, a, like a, 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 an expansion team.
4: <laughs> You're going to look foolish when the Ravens are right. <laughs> if the Ravens are right, I'm going to be
0: good and aggravated, I will tell you that. No, I was. I'm torn between two teams, which is the Packers and the Steelers. The Steelers are another team that I feel like makes the playoffs every year and doesn't always have the best record. And, like, their coaches never lose games. I mean, going back to 78, that would be the very end of the Knoll Steelers, but then you got all the Cowers and all of the Tomlins. So, (sighs) I'm going to go Pittsburgh. So, we got a couple of Packers, we got a
1: Steelers, we got a Ravens, and we got a Giants. The correct answer is
3: Packers. Yes!
1: (laughs) Let's go, Brandon! Damn it. The Packers won 10, the Seahawks and Titans with 9, the Cowboys Ravens and Eagles with eight. Where were the Steelers and all of that? The Steelers had six, and the Giants have seven. The, Gi- the Steelers have only one. Hey, pretty six. good guess there, huh, Clown? <laughs> 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 hey, listen, <laughs> Clown.
4: <laughs> I mean, did Clown feel a little aggressive? Not, not after else? what you said to my guess. You well, did say it sucked. I it was a pretty it, good guess. It was. It was. You not roundly a- mocked Bubba and Jack's
1: guess, and both of their guesses were better than your guess. I didn't mock. Is that, is, uh, did I mock Jack? Yeah, I
0: did mock. I think yeah, you mock, said I why don't Jack. you pick yes. the Texans? I just mocked Jack. I mean, which I feel, what I, which I do not retract. I one hundred percent stand behind. <laughs> still stands. My mockery of Jack. Yes, I, I, I stand behind in every conceivable way. I feel it was it was ba- based on journalistically sound principles. All right, that's frustrating. <laughs> I love right. that.
1: Usually, you go first and you get it wrong, and this time you go last. Cam talks you out of it because you don't want to overlap, and then it. <laughs> I, there's you to get
0: really it wrong. no way I get this right. I mean, the, 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 so have far, you got it
4: right this year? Yeah, only the group one. Oh, the group one. So, so what are we now? I'm three and two. Bubba's two and three. Greeny's one and four. Uh, Brandon's one and one, and Jack is zero oh and one.
0: All right. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career you'll love with flexibility, great pay and benefits and one of the country's top workplaces? Come join their growing team. Go to progressive.com slash careers and apply online today. We'll have uh, Reese Davis coming up a little bit later here and he will get us ready for tonight's game in uh, in Houston for the national championship. I-, I will tell you just as a little sneak preview. My pick is not what everyone else's pick is. Mm. I feel like the whole world is on one side and I'm on the other, and I will explain why as we go. But, so Cam put into the rundown this morning, into the Google Doc, some unbelievable stats. I mean, the stats coming out of yesterday were surreally good. And let's start with this one on the Dolphins, which I think is incredible. The Dolphins had a great year, and I feel bad for them. I feel bad for their fans. I've fallen in love with their coach. Like, having your coach mic'd up is if your coach is as, imposs- as ridiculously likable as Mike McDaniel is, is a really good idea because I, the Dolphins are like the arch rival of my team, and yet I find myself loving that guy. Mike McDaniel is so easy to root for. Their season was so good, and when it all came down to it, they lose Jalen Phillips on a turf injury. They lose Bradley Chubb with, what, three minutes left in a game they're hopelessly out of. And they have to play the biggest game of their season yesterday without two of their three most important offensive weapons. And so, of course, they lose. So I don't feel like their season was a fraud. I really do not. That said, this statistic is amazing. The Dolphins were outscored by 91 points against teams that made the playoffs this year, which is the second worst point differential by any playoff team against the rest of that season's postseason field in NFL history. So the folks who want to claim that they just beat up on all the bad teams on their schedule and every time they had to step up in class they lost, it is basically true.
1: Yeah, the average game the Dolphins played against teams in the playoff field ended in a 33-18 to loss. So that average margin of defeat, if you will, is the second worst in the NFL this year. Behind only the Washington Commanders, who actively tried to tank their season and did so, by the way, very successfully. Mm -hmm. They really executed their tank to perfection.
0: Yes, they're good tankers. um, And and it'll wind up bearing fruit because they got the second pick in the draft. So they'll get a good quarterback in the draft and they'll have a new coach in there. We'll see who that winds up being. Maybe Bill Belichick. I don't know. I think that's one of the places people have associated him with. So we'll see. But as far as the Dolphins, imagine this scenario. You go into the fourth quarter yesterday. You got a 14-7 lead against Buffalo. You've basically held the Bills in check. You are less than 15 minutes away from having the two seed and everybody come into your place until the AFC championship game. Then they, the other team runs a punt back 96 yards for a touchdown, and the next thing you know, you're on your way to Kansas City where it's going to be zero on Saturday night. It is going to be, for those of you who haven't started looking at the weather, It is forecast to be zero degrees Fahrenheit, not Celsius, when the Dolphins play at the Chiefs. I can think of no greater juxtaposition than having Pittsburgh come play you in Miami than having to go to zero degrees Kansas City and play Patrick Mahomes.
1: Yes, especially with an Alabama quarterback. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has played 14 games in freezing time temperatures in his career. Uh, Tua has played one.
0: No surprise. Which was that game? I don't even can't even think of what game it would have been. Would have been a regular season game. Because he didn't play in the playoffs. Yeah, Buffalo or New England last year. And Alabama wouldn't have played in one. No, No. it's brutal. (laughs) No, it's brutal. And 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 that game, I believe that game is on Peacock.
1: Uh yes, it's on Peacock.
0: So which is fascinating to me. I said to Rex today, if I gave you the rest of your life, could you find that game? Like if I literally said all right, the game is starting. I'm going to give you the rest of your I'm not going to give you any information. I'm not telling you anything. Would you find it? And he just started to laugh.
1: I think there's a non-zero chance that around 7.30 on Saturday night, I get a call from him, and he inputs my credentials <laughs> into his TV. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to happen, I man. Think
0: that's a very, I, I think that's a likelihood as well. All right, we continue in just a moment. It's a Monday on ESPN Radio.